Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I'm going to be referencing out of 1 Corinthians 15 today and John chapter 5. If there was ever a a, a chapter in the Bible that you call a resurrection chapter is 1 Corinthians 15. There'll probably be a lot of sermons today out of 1 Corinthians 15. I got amused at a Sunday school teacher who asked her class to write a one sentence statement on what Easter means to me. One of her pupils wrote, egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. In our society, there are two religious holidays that we focus on, Christmas and Easter. And Christmas seems to be the bigger one in everybody's mind. It comes at the end of the year, the climax of the year. It's a time when we gather our families together, we exchange gifts, we sing songs. Easter, on the other hand, it seems like a more second rate, that's not the right word, but oh, we get together, we get away, maybe have a long weekend. But somehow we've gotten our thinking backwards here. Because if Easter had not happened, Christmas has no meaning. And if the tomb is not empty, the cradle makes no difference. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he's simply a misguided Jewish rabbi with delusions of grandeur. If Easter is not true, then Christmas is only the story of an obscure baby born in an out-of-the-way village in a forgotten land 2,000 years ago. It's Easter that gives Christmas meaning. And you want proof? In all the New Testament, no major doctrinal point is ever built upon the virgin birth of Christ, not one. It happened, but it's never discussed In fact, two gospels don't even mention it. The the virgin birth is important, don't misunderstand me. But when it comes to the resurrection, it's a different story. Every part of the New Testament talks about the resurrection. Doesn't talk about Christmas. You find it time and time again when the first Christians preached, they didn't mention Bethlehem. They talked about the empty tomb. The one word that makes the difference between Christianity and all the other religions in the world is resurrection. Because Jesus Christ was resurrected. I read about an African Muslim who became a Christian. And his Muslim friends asked him, why did you become a Christian? And he answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you're going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. There at, the fork were two direct, there, were, there at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? <laughs> Today I want to talk about, you've got a resurrection. You've got a resurrection reservation. You're going to be resurrected. Did you know that? Now, unless the Lord returns and we're raptured out of here, you're going to die one day. You don't know when it will be, but you're going to be resurrected and there are two different resurrections at the end. You've already got a reservation for one of them. 
The good news is you can change that reservation if yours is in the wrong one. I first, though, want to speak for a few moments about Christ's undeniable resurrection. If you look at the facts, folks, you can't deny the resurrection. I like what Tim Keller said. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Henry Morris said the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. When we think about Christ's resurrection, I'm a, I read about a little boy, a man and his five-year-old son who were driving past a cemetery and they noticed a large pile of dirt near a freshly dug grave. And the little boy said to his dad, he said, look, dad, one of them got out. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ got out. It's undeniable. First, let me mention the reality of his resurrection. Look at verse 3, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. What are some of the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus? Let me quickly remind you a few. I didn't write them down for you. You can, you probably heard some of them. First of all, Jesus spent a lot of his time predicting it. In Matthew 12, 40, Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 26, 32, it indicates that he was going to die and be raised again. He mentions it time and time again, and it says that he mentioned it many times in Matthew. The second proof is that it's the only reasonable, and I use the word reasonable, explanation for the empty tomb. For example, if you think about all the precautions that they went to to bury Jesus, the solid rock tomb in John 19, 41 and Matthew 15, 46, it was a solid rock tomb honed out of rock, only one entrance into the front of it, probably only four and a half to five feet tall, the entrance that is, because we know that in John's gospel, when Peter ran to the tomb, it says he stooped down to look in. So there was only one way in that tomb. Nobody could sneak in the back. Nobody could dig in from another side. It was honed out of solid rock. Also, the Jewish preparation for burial. We're told in John 19, 39, that Nicodemus shows up with almost 100 pounds of spices to, to prepare the body. And they would wrap the body in 11-inch strips, and in between the strips, they would put these substances, these spices, and this gummy substance known as myrrh. And by the time they encased the body, it would be a 75 to 100-pound encasement around the body. And so Jesus didn't just pass out on the cross and wake up in the tomb. He would have been encased in this. 
Then you think about the stone in front of the tomb. It was three to six feet in diameter and weighed two to five tons. You didn't just walk up and roll this. It took a lot of strong men. In fact, the preposition, not the prepositions, but yeah, the prepositions indicate in the New Testament Gospels that the stone was away from the tomb. It wasn't just rolled out of the way. It was moved out of the way, like somebody picked it up and moved it. You also have the precautions that the Jewish leaders set a guard now, the English word is guard, and you think of a, a person that's standing in front of that, but, a, but the actual, the Greek word is custodian, with a K, custodian. And a custodian was a Roman fighting unit, almost like special forces. 16 men, four in each group. They were trained to protect six square feet of ground. If they were ever caught sleeping, they were burned on the spot in their clothes. If they were ever caught deserting or running away, they were killed. If they lost their weapon, they were killed. These are some serious dudes. It's not two Roman soldiers in miniskirts with a spear standing there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's not that well, at all. These are fighting units in front of this tomb. The Bible says the guards fell as dead when the stone was away from the tomb. So the precautions of the tomb alone is enough to make you think something supernatural happened there. Then you have the proof of the transformation of the disciples. These 12 guys, that or 11 of them that were left, that, that fled in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested, they all fled. And yet... All of them died a martyr's death. Peter was crucified, Andrew was crucified, Matthew died by the sword, John died of natural causes, but he was exiled on the island of Patmos. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified, Philip was crucified, Simon was crucified, Thaddeus died by arrows, James, the brother of our Lord, was stoned, Thomas died by the spear, Bartholomew was crucified, James, the son of Zebedee, died by the sword. Do you want to tell me that 11 guys would all be martyred for a lie? Amen. They saw something. And then you have the transformation of lives through history. I mean, you, there's a lot of you in here that could stand up and say, I know Jesus lives because he lives in me and he has changed my life. Then you have the appearance to over 500 people. In verse six, it says, after he was seen by over 500 brethren, wouldn't you like to have 500 witnesses for your case in court? And the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is still alive today and nothing can snuff it out. Christianity is not a simple faith that has no worthwhile content. If the resurrection is not true, it's worthless. Most historians outside of Christian context will believe that the church was founded on the belief that Jesus had literally been raised from the dead. Any contrary theory needs to explain how a small group of Jews became passionately convinced of the truth of the resurrection and spread rapidly across the Middle East into Europe. The church did not create the resurrection stories. The resurrection created the church. And we're living proof of that. 
Josephus, who was not a Christian, who was a Jew, a Jewish historian, said, now there was about this time Jesus a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews and also many of the Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him for, the, for, he, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. The divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him and even now the race of Christians so named from him has not died out. From the writings of Josephus before AD 100, 100 AD, John Copley one of the great legal minds in British history, three times the high chancellor of England said, I know pretty well what evidence is and I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection has never broken down yet. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The proof is there. A lot of men have sought out to disprove the resurrection and as a result have come to know Christ because the proof, the truth stands. Now, what are some of the proposals and theories that those who refuse to believe hold? And when I say refused, they refuse to believe. The, the proof's there. Some say the disciples stole the body. Well, explain, explain the broken. I didn't even mention the seal that was on the stone. It was made of rawhide and mud packs, and in the center was a Roman seal of authority, and if you broke that Roman seal, it was automatic crucifixion upside down. How do you talk about the, the, the stone being away from the tomb? And what about the grave clothes that were laid in order in, inside? I mean, if the disciples stole the body, they'd run in and take it. Besides that, how are they gonna get around the custodian, the Roman guards? Then they say, well, the Jews, the Jewish leader stole the body. Why? And if they had stolen the body, they would have produced it. And then there's the genius that said they went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> Some say, well, Jesus just swooned on the cross. You know, that after all of that, he went through, he swooned on the cross and he passed out. And when they put him in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb and all that, they, that he came back and he got out and the disciples nursed him back to health. Really? I like what J. Vernon McGee, how he answered when he said, a lady wrote him and said, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. I love what J. Vernon McGee said. Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days and see what happens. <laughs> I love that answer, don't you? We see the reality of his resurrection. I don't have to prove that to you. What was the reason for his resurrection? Well, you see it here in these same verses. Verse three says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. They didn't take his life. They didn't end his ministry early. 
He gave his life for you. In fact, the word means with reference to our sins. Christ died for, with reference to our sins. There's only one reason he died. He gave his life willingly, a sinless life on the cross so that God would put your sin and my sin on him. And the wages of sin is death. So Christ died for us. He died for our sins. That's why. That's the only reason he died. Don't you think for a moment that the Romans killed him. He gave his life willingly on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day, it says. And the word rose is the perfect tense, which means he was raised from the dead and he continues to be raised today. He's still alive. And the passive voice indicates that the father that he received the action from the Father who raised him from the dead. It says he appeared to those over 500. Verse one says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received. You see, folks, the resurrection doesn't mean anything to you until you receive God's gift of salvation. It's not just a religious holiday. This is the crux, the very heart of our faith. If Jesus is not raised, you and I are doomed. We have no hope. But when you receive Christ, you don't join the church, you don't walk the aisle, you don't get baptized, you receive Christ. And he saves you from your sin. That's the only way. He's the God-man. He's the one mediator between God and man. He's the only one that can take the hand of God and the hand of man and bring them together because of his death and resurrection on the cross. So here's what I really want to focus on. We see the reality of it and the reason for it, but now go to verse 20. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. We were all born with that sinful nature. We all die. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. First fruits. Let's think about this for a moment. In Leviticus chapter 23, the children of Israel were told to bring the first fruit offering to the Lord. Now, when they planted, they would plant in a progression. They didn't plant everything on the same day. And the reason was, if you planted early in this area, then this would start to grow, and then you'd plant again in another area, and it would start to grow. And the reason was, sometimes the rains would come late, and you'd get more rain at the end. And what if you had a storm that destroyed at the beginning? And so in order to protect the crop from the elements, they would plant in progression in a lot of ways. But when the first fruit came, the first sheaves of wheat came, they would take that, wrap it in, and take it to the priest and offer it to God as a faith offering that said, God, we believe the rest of it's coming. It's the first fruits. I'm not going to wait till the very end and save what I've got left and give to you. I'm going to give off the top. 
And that's the way we're supposed to give to the Lord anyway. Give off the top. So the first fruits would come in and it was a faith offering. Well, the scripture says that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrected and that he went before God and God approved it. And now the rest of us are going to be resurrected one day because Jesus defeated death. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, I like what theologian Eric Sauer wrote. He said, the present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life through Christ. When you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you have been given life. You are spiritually alive. He goes on to say, so we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter, which is the resurrection of you and me. You're going to be resurrected one day. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you for just a minute about something you cannot avoid. You have an unavoidable reservation. It's already been made for you. You've got it. You are going to be resurrected. The question is, when? So, with that in mind, let's talk about the sequence of the first resurrection. Interestingly enough, in a, in a, children, in a book called Children's Letters to God, a little boy wrote, Dear God, what's it like when a person dies? Nobody will tell me. I just want to know. I don't want to do it. I just want to know your friend Mike. Well, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man and woman once to die. You've got an appointment. You ever get a reminder of an appointment on your text and in emails and now they call you and they want you to respond and you ever get reminders of those appointments? God says you got an appointment and he keeps reminding us. He keeps reminding us. That day's coming. You just don't know when. Incidentally, it's, I read something that was funny. I think I shared this with you several years ago. But, you know, sometimes translations don't work well from English into other languages. And years ago, Pepsi had a commercial. And their, their slogan here was, come alive with Pepsi. Well, in the Taiwanese edition of Reader's Digest, they were going to run a, an ad about come alive with Pepsi. The artwork was fine, but just before it went into publication, one of uh, the Chinese editor caught the mistake. The Chinese version read, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> they put the same advertisement in the German translation of the Reader's Digest, but they didn't catch it till several weeks later, and you could imagine how mystified they were when the ad said, come alive out of the grave with Pepsi. <laughs> You're going to come alive out of the grave, but it's not going to be with Pepsi. So let's talk about the sequence here of the righteous. 
When I'm talking about the righteous, I'm talking about those who ask God to forgive them, have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and been forgiven of their sins and been saved. You're born again believer, you're the righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus in you. You're not righteous on your own. God has imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and you're white as snow, whiter than snow. Well, the scripture speaks of the resurrection of the righteous in Revelation 20, verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, Luke 14, 14, John 5, 29, calling it the first resurrection. That resurrection is going to take place. First fruits, Christ's own resurrection was the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. And the fact that Christ was the first fruits indicates that something else is going to follow. And Christ said, it, and I, I kind of emphasized it here when it says, but each in his own order, which means there's going to be some different stages that are going to happen. I think there are three, this is my personal interpretation, and you have the right to disagree, but I think the scripture bears it out personally. There's three resurrections of the righteous. Now, you're not going to be in all three of them, okay? Let me make that clear. <laughs> the first one's going to be the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians 4 says that we're going to be taken out. We're going to be snatched away. The Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You're going to see the righteous who've died before us in the Lord be raised and instantly transformed into their glorified body and we're going to get ours and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. That's the first resurrection. And if the Lord returns before we draw our last breath, you'll be taken with them. But I tell everybody when I stand out at that cemetery, this is not the end. That earthly tent has been laid to rest. It one day will be resurrected and they will have a glorified body, the first resurrection of the righteous. Now when the rapture occurs, there's going to start a time on this earth called the tribulation. The 70th week of Daniel, the seven years of tribulation, you're gonna see the rise of a one world government. That'll never happen though, will it? You're gonna see the rise of people being duped by the antichrist, that'll never happen though, will it? And I'm being facetious here, folks. Are you realize what's going on around here in this world today? People are just blind as they can be spiritually. Anyway, I have so many rabbits running out of this message I could chase. I'm just not going <laughs> to stay right here. You ain't got enough time. During that tribulation period, there will be some people who've been left behind, but they're going to come to know Jesus because God's still trying to save people. And those people, some of them are going to be martyred because they didn't take the mark of the beast. Some of them will be killed. At the end of that tribulation period, I believe at the end of that tribulation period, when Jesus returns and sets up his millennial reign on earth, then the tribulation saints who've died and the Old Testament saints who died will be resurrected there. And I use the scripture in Daniel uh, Revelation 20, verse 4, and in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Isaiah 26, 19, I believe the resurrection will probably occur simultaneously with the tribulation saints, but you've got these saints that have been resurrected and given their glorified bodies.
Now, when Jesus reigns on this earth for a thousand years, there's still going to be some people on this earth in their mortal bodies. And they're going to die during that thousand year period. Now, I don't know if they're going to be raised at the end of the millennium. I don't know if when they die, they immediately they're resurrected and given their glorified body. But there's the sequence, the resurrected saints. And you know what? When you get a reservation online or you call and get a reservation, they give you a confirmation number. I got a confirmation number for you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But now, I need to share with you some bad news. Let me read to you Jesus' own words in John chapter five, verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And then in Revelation 20, verse 11 and following, it says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from those, and from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, the only resurrection remaining will be that of the unrighteous. The saved have been raised to eternal life. The unsaved were re-raised to eternal death. It's not annihilation. Death means separation from God. It will be dark. It will be painful. I, I don't have to tell you about all of that. Folks, you have a reservation. Now, how do you get the reservation? You don't do anything. See, everyone without Jesus Christ already has a reservation to this one. Our sin put us there. God's not going to send us to hell. Our sin is sending us to hell. But God has put all of this in the way. And he's saying, look, if you, all you've got to do to move your reservation from this side to here over to life is to return from your sin and come to me and ask God to forgive you and believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin, was buried and rose again the third day and trust Jesus as your Savior through faith you'll be saved and your reservation moves and God puts your name in the book of life. Amen. You don't get your name in the book of life by joining the church. 
Don't get your name in the book of life by being baptized. Baptized, be baptism is important. It's the first act of obedience when you follow Jesus. I'm not ashamed. I want people to know. It looks like the burial and resurrection of Jesus, doesn't it? But I can dunk you till you look like a prune. And it will not put your name in the book of life. You can join every church on earth. It won't put your name in the book of life. You can be a good neighbor and a good person according to the world's standards, but it won't put your name in the book of life. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He shed his blood, he rose again, and when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you move your reservation over. I close with this. It was a professional singer named Ruth Anna Metzger. She tells a story about a time when she was asked to sing at a wedding of a very wealthy family. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the northwest tallest skyscraper at the time. And she and her husband, Roy, were very excited. She came and she sang at the wedding. At the reception, the waiters were in tuxedos. They offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and fancy food. The bride and the groom approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs. They announced the wedding feast was about to begin. And the bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by the guests. At the top of the stairs was a maitre d' with a bound book who greeted the guest outside the doors. May I have your name, please? Ruth Anna said, I'm Ruth Anna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's. He said, I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? And Ruth Anna spelled her name slowly. And after searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name is not in here. Well, there must be some mistake, she said. I'm the singer of this wedding. I just sang at this wedding ceremony. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend this banquet. And he motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. Well, the Metzgers followed the waiter past the beautifully decorated tables. They were laden with shrimp and salmon, smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. And adjacent to the banquet area, an orchestra was prepared to play, and they were all in solid white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruth Anna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for the parking garage. And after locating their car and driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruth Anna's arm, and he said, sweetheart, what happened? She said, when the invitation arrived, I was busy. I never bothered to RSVP to respond. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go into the reception without returning the RSVP. Ruth Anna began to cry, not because she missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but she said, I got a taste of what it will be like someday for people as they stand before Christ and find their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. For heaven's sake, have you made your reservation? 
You see, folks, there's no other answer when you stand before the Lord and, he, and if he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? There's no other answer except I've placed my life and my faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood for my sin. I don't care who you are. You've been told, well, Christianity is just one of the ways to God. Look at the proof. Who's the only one that's alive? Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I wish I could tell you joining Southcrest would get you into heaven. It's not. <laughs> In fact, I don't believe everybody that's on the road to Southcrest is going to heaven. I, I don't have anybody in particular in mind. I just want you to know, just because you're on a roll of a church doesn't mean you automatically go. Listen, you're looking at, you're looking at a professional churchgoer. I was raised in a, I was born in a church. I went to church nine months before I was born. I thought I was born in the church nursery. I did. For a long time, I thought, I, my earliest remembrances of being in church. Nobody's been to church more than me. Trust me on that one. And I should have gotten extra credit because my dad was a pastor. But I realized just like anyone else that until I gave my life to Jesus, I had no hope because I was a sinner separated from God. And if you don't know Jesus, why don't you move your reservation right now? Would you pray with me? While your heads are bowed, you come to the Lord and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. I don't have that spiritual life that he's talking about. Oh, I've been religious, but Lord, I need you. And I ask you now to forgive me. I believe in my heart and my mind that Jesus died for my sin, that he was buried and he rose again the third day. And Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my life. I commit my life to you. I want you to live in me. I want to live for you, God. Give me this spiritual life, even now. I pray for those, Lord, who need to receive Christ. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, then, Lord, you bring them here. I pray for those who need to be baptized, to be obedient. Lord, I'm not ashamed. I'll let people know I've been saved. I pray for those that just need a fresh touch from you. Confess sin in their life, 1 John 1, 9, to make that relationship with you sweet again. If you're watching us online, you can hit that connect button or you can text the word living hope, all one word, no space, just living hope to 474747. You can do that in this room too. Text it to us, 474747. Text the word living hope, one word. If you'll give us the information, we'll be glad to call you on the telephone and talk to you about the commitment that you want to make. There are cards in the seat pockets in front of you that you can fill out and put your prayer requests on and, and put them in the boxes as you leave. We'll call you. We don't show up unannounced. We call you and talk to you.
Lord, I pray for those today that, that need you. We're, we're so thankful that we're the only folks today that celebrate a Savior who's alive and can give us life. I pray you bring people to you, Lord, more than anything that somebody would come to know you today and commit their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.